Dawson in looking for Garza backside and in for the first goal in Atlanta United history from Yamil Assad. Take a look at history. All right, well, flat straight final, JCM Jones from Dirty South Soccer and the Mothership, uh, Joe Patrick from DSS and the Mothership and IT.9 The Game is over there. Say, hey, Joe. Uh, hey, Sam. Hey, I actually let you get a word in. I don't know why I did that. We have a much more important guest on the line. Uh, Kevin Egan is here with us. Kevin, how are we doing? Not at all more important, but gents, what a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Oh, this is excellent. This is excellent. You are one of the most infectiously exuberant people I know and have had the pleasure of getting to talk to in my entire experience and just kind of getting into the soccer world uh, here in North America. And we need it. We need it so badly because things <laughs> are so bad right now, especially here in Atlanta. The, the last few shows that we've done if I try final have all been very, um, here's a, a list of everything wrong with Atlanta right now. Yeah. Uh, and so we need we need a positive cast. We're gonna do Why do you think stuff. I've stayed off Twitter, Sam? <laughs> for you personally, and that we should all probably make at least once in our lives for a little while, just to know how normal people live. Um, gosh, it's been rough. So here's the here's the thing. Here's the plan today. Is we're just gonna we're gonna be. This is the only part where we're gonna talk about the negative things. The rest is gonna be nostalgia, lookbacks, everything great, everything grand, everything happy. Um, and Joe Patrick, how are you about doing that? Well, I wanted to, first I wanted to get into Kevin, just kind of like how he got involved with Atlanta United. Um, I want to know some of the backstory. I want to know, um, we want, we want to go deep into the Houston game, the notorious Houston game, which, uh, Sam, you did a nice piece collecting people's anecdotes from that game, um, their, their stories. And that was always, that was a really fun read because there was a lot of debauchery that day and a lot of <laughs> magnificent stuff that was happening on the field. Um, and then any other fun stories we get into, I, I'm just really looking forward to it, but, uh, let's, let's get into it, Kev. So like you were working for being sports before Atlanta United got in contact. And I know that they had Alan green set up as a broadcaster. Can you, you kind of talk about what, what those conversations were like when, when the club approached you, I, I, I assume is what happened and kind of just how things evolved for you to get in, into that position. Yeah, for sure. I'm a major fan of Major League Soccer and I have been since I moved over to the US. Always been a fan of supporting local. Kept an eye on Major League Soccer from Ireland. My mother's from Chicago. Half my family lives in the Windy City. My brother's there now. So it, when I arrived in Chicago, my focus was to try and get into broadcasting. I was working in Ireland in the national network called RTE. Eventually, I got a chance to break in and, and, and I became the sideline reporter and then color analyst for the fire. And when I moved to be in sports in 2015, I, I found out, it was so funny, we were away for our wedding. We were in North Carolina, got married on a place called Baldhead Island, absolute paradise. And a couple of nights before the wedding, maybe even the night before, I got the, the final contract offer from BN. And I, I remember saying to my fiance at the time, Meg, we're moving to Miami next week. Plans are canceled for anyone. Let's go. We're, we're going to Miami. And she, she's such a, a legend. Meg was all in and, and, and just excited by the move. So with that, though, I, say, I said goodbye to Major League Soccer for the time being. And I, I was fairly sad about that because I love traveling around the country. I love the fact that you meet so many other great people from different backgrounds around North America. 
and I just love the game and I love seeing it grow. So when I was covering La Liga and Syria and those leagues at the time of being, I loved every second of it and I, I learned so much. But when the chance came about to come back to Major League Soccer, it was a no-brainer. Now, it came about because Darren Eels and Carlos Bocanegra were on a media tour and they were down in Miami visiting a few different places, pumping up Atlanta United before the first season. This was probably, I'm guessing, late January, maybe early February of 17. Okay. And I had them both on my show on the extra. So I'm hosting and my two guests are Darren Eels and Carlos Bocanegra. And I didn't think much of it. I didn't think that the position would be open uh, because it wasn't at the time. And I also didn't think that I'd be allowed to do it because I was a full-time contractor with BN Sports. So the interview went well, had a laugh, got a photo. Glad I got a photo now, looking back. And uh, I just went about my my business and and then I got contacted by the club saying look would you be interested in uh, essentially interviewing or chatting to Darren for a while about doing five games five games only you're in and you're out Alan Green is the commentator but he's coming across from the UK he's covering the Champions League on radio uh, and I, I I jumped at it and I begged my boss Rafa Torres and fair play to him at BA and he he said to me you know he I remember him saying you love the league and it's something you'd like to do as long as it doesn't impact your job here. And luckily enough, I was hosting the extra on BN, which was the nightly show, Monday to Friday. And the Atlanta United games were all weekend games at the time. So I said, no, nope, no problem at all. And I mean, it did cause some stresses because the, the Rail Salt Lake game, for example, that was our third game. That was actually a game that I called alongside Darren Eels because Gargan was at a wedding. That's right. I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Darren Eels game. Brandon Vasquez, 96. Holy cow. To ice Holy the game. Cow. Yeah, and that was a stressful one because... I couldn't get the president is sitting right next to you the entire time. No, sorry. Well, that, but also my, my, in terms of preparation, it was really difficult because it was a Saturday game in Utah. There was no flight out of Miami. Usually I could jump on a flight. I production assistant at the time. She's now a host at being Gabriella Amato in her mini Cooper used to drop me to the airport. She's such a, she's such a star, Gabby, brilliant host now, rising star in North America. And she'd always say, come on, I'm driving you. I'm driving you. It's on the way home anyway. So I'd say, good night, folks. Have a great weekend. Take care. I'd have my bag. I'd leave makeup on. I'd run straight to the car. Gabby, uh, you know, Italian job style, get me to the airport. And I'd be on the quickest flight I could out of Miami. Couldn't do it that weekend because there was no flight to Utah. And I was looking at different options. I was looking at trying to drive from certain places and yeah, trying yeah. to figure out how to get there, knowing as well that I'm calling the game with the president. But also, here's the kicker, knowing that I'm hosting El Clasico on Sunday morning. So I had a flight... I got in, I, I got the first flight out Saturday morning. I didn't get into Utah until probably, I'm guessing, like yeah. needed, to be, needed to be at the stadium at about two or three o'clock. And then I was on the first flight after the game on a red eye back to Miami to get me to land into Miami at like 9 a.m. And I was on air at 11 a.m. hosting El Clasico. And I, I was, at the time, I was just thinking, just persevere, just keep going, keep yeah, going, keep yeah. going. I, I, had, I had everything printed. So the flight time was valuable um, to try and get as much work done as possible. And it was a lot of fun. I've gone off on a random tangent there. Sorry no, it's that. funny. No, that, that's, that's, exactly, that's exactly why we got you on here. That's, yeah. that's an amazing story. So, so long story short, anyway, the, the five games came about. Loved every second of it. Yeah. Was sad saying goodbye, especially because our final game was a disaster technically. We had a horrible broadcast and it was a horrible game in Vancouver. Um, Freddie Montero scored. I remember Kendall Waston scored a brace. Atlanta United lost 3-1. Greg Garza scored for, ah. for us. Uh, and, but it was a horrible game for us. We, we had Gargan didn't have a working microphone for like 40 minutes. And, and during that 40 minutes, I'm trying to commentate alone, but also trying to fix 
his situation and our producer kept saying can you hear him now kevin say something in your co- in your talk back so i'm trying to work with them while also not missing a beat on the game which which is impossible um so at that point i was thinking there's no way i'm getting asked back that's it like done horrible game those negative memories from fans can stick with them and they associate your voice with the me- negative memories mm-hmm. and that was my fear at that point and uh sure enough in like i think it was september or october i got contacted from the club saying hey, stick with us. We want you back for next year. Okay, I'm all in. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> after that. That's- because I think like not only have you made a connection with the fans, it's very apparent that the group that did get pulled together with you and Gargan and Jill has become very close. Uh, kind of yeah. how did that kind of start off? And, and can you just tell us a little bit about how close you guys are now? Yeah, it's a fun group. I'll say that. And our producer, Eric Kendall, and our director, Tom Hewitt, as well. Gargan, my first ever sideline report for the Chicago Fire. I'll never forget how nervous I was. First ever sideline report was about Gargan. And he was playing for the Fire. And Sebastian Latou was playing as a left-sided striker in like a 4-3-3 for Philadelphia. And he was tucking inside and he's leaving acres of space on the right-hand side. And every single time Gargan's like this, give it to me, give it to me. And he'd be tearing forward. So my first ever sideline hit was about him. And he was just this fun-loving joker. And I didn't realize at the time how intelligent he is, how charismatic he is. And then I met him for the first time in Toronto the night before our first game in March of seventeen. And or, or maybe early April of 17, a 2-2 draw away. Vialba scored a brace and Assad was sent off. And, and he, was, he was quite serious. Like he wanted to suss me out straight away. He wanted to see, was I, was I all in? What, what was my knowledge of the league like? Uh, you know, am I going to make him better, essentially? Because that's what a play-by-play's job should be. A play-by-play's job should be to get the best out of the person next to them. Same as a host. So we, we hit it off, though. I think for, after the first game, we just hit it off. And he's he's a he's a you know he's a curious guy like he really is he's he's fun you know he's a complete diva like he he and I say that to him all the time he's, he always you know you got to big him up he's got the best uh, he's got the best dad abs in the game like he'll tell you that himself you know, he's he's just fun and then Jill Jill and Dan are like opposite personalities but they both love each other and and we've got this lovely mix and. Jill is, is, is your hard-nosed New Yorker, works so hard, and, and she's a grinder in the industry. Um, and I just have so much time for her. She's got a huge heart. She's someone who just cares so much about everybody, and she'll know everyone's name on the, on the production crew, which is vitally important because you need to know your camera crew's names, your stage manager's names, and know their stories because that's what makes a good broadcast. When everybody's swimming in the same direction and when everybody's invested, more importantly, you, you have a team in unison, and it's crucial. Um, you just garner a greater appreciation for the show. Well, just to back you up on that, and you don't have to comment on this, but it was clear to me that, you know, after hearing you and Dan do those first five games or whatever it was together, and then hearing Dan with um, Alan Green, you was, it, was just a, it was just not the right fit for me. Like, I, it was just, you could notice it. It was just like, it wasn't that they didn't enjoy each other. It was just that, like, I think just the, the culture between the two of them, the age, you know, all that stuff really plays into a really good fit between a, a play-by-play and a, and a color commentator. I do like the story about um, when you were talking about Darren, do it, interviewing Darren and, and Carlos uh, down on the BN Sports Show. It reminds me of like in uh, House of Cards when there's like a VP, um, there was a VP vetting process and like one of them thinks he's being interviewed, but then the other, you're actually being interviewed. The person yeah. doing the interviewed is the one who's being interviewed. Uh, did, and they did, I'm fairly sure they didn't know it at the time either. 
I mean, they're they're on a they're a, they're on a probably a six a.m. flight to Miami. They do this crazy media tour. They go back that night, and I I, I also don't think I did anything special. The interview was just okay, if I'm being honest. I remember thinking afterwards, why didn't I press them harder on this? Why didn't I say this? Um, but I was buzzing to do it because it was Carlos who had just retired. You yeah. know, 110 caps for the US, six-year captain, legend of the game. And alongside Darren, who was such an inter- interesting story himself. So for me, I was buzzing to do it and I didn't expect anything from it at all. And then to receive the welcome in Atlanta, like by the time we finally got back to call a game here, that was the famous Houston game that continues to grow legs. And uh, that was also my birthday, May 20th. So, so yeah, I, I was celebrating my birthday that night too. My birthday is May 16th. And I think it was that nice. game was on like the 18th or something. It was, or was no, it on it was the 20th? 20th. It, was it was on the 20th. 20th. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because my, my wife came in for that game too. Okay. Uh, she was that your up, first game? It was my your, first game. First in home Atlanta. game. Yeah. It was, yeah, okay. it was the first, that was, when you think about it, like it's, it's an easy one to remember. That was the first ever local broadcast game in Atlanta United history. Wow. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. yeah. First ever Fox Sports South game in Atlanta. So take me through that from your perspective. What was your what was your day like that day? And and because I have to imagine that yeah, I mean you you saw the first game, you know, I'm sure on TV with the the, the Pack Stadium and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. But it's got to be a different feeling when you're in the middle of it. Big time. I woke up that morning. As I said, my wife Meg was was in with me, and she was so aware and cognizant of the fact that I had a game and I, I had all this prep that I wanted to do. And I think she had lined up one or two touristy things to do here in the city. And in the back of our mind, we were thinking maybe we'll move to Atlanta, you know. So Meg wanted to check out um, certain parts of the city, but she also wanted to bring me for breakfast and wanted to like she got a present for me. And, and she's wonderful, Meg. So uh, we we had a, a nice morning, but at the same time, I was kind of thinking, right, on your merry way, because I wanna I wanna focus here, and even though you might have all your notes done and everything, sometimes it's just a mental uh, preparation and, and, and it's running through scenarios in your head while you're shaving. You know, it's the most basic mm-hmm. things sometimes that, that I like to do and I like to do it alone. Like I'd, I'd hate the idea of having to share a hotel room, say with Gargan. You know, the way the players have to share a hotel room. I, I've thought about that so much because I'll, I'll, I'll talk out loud in the room by myself all the time. You know, and it just, you can't do that. Uh, so that day, I remember getting ready, heading to meet Gargan downstairs at the hotel. We got dropped off at the wrong entrance. The crowd were starting to roll in. It was the hottest day I can remember because yeah, I, was, yeah. I was wearing this heavy shirt. And by the time we found that we, we looped the whole stadium. And by the time we got to the right gate, I had completely sweat through my entire shirt. Like it was disgusting absolutely disgusting. I really regretted not bringing, and I'm a sweater at the best of times anyway, and I, I, I regretted not bringing a spare shirt. And uh, we met Matt Moore, head of communications, and Darren Eales on the pitch. They were chatting as Dan and I walked through onto the pitch, and they both made fun of me for sweating so much. Gargan was sweating pretty bad as well. So made it up to the booth, uh, watched the clouds roll in, you know, the game pushed back by, what, two hours? Something like that in the end. Something, yeah, yeah. And uh, we kept, we kept getting, we kept, so at this point I was not covering the team. I was just sitting, using my season ticket. I mean, I was writing for the site and everything, but um, was not credentialed or anything. So yeah, we were tailgating. We were happy to keep the tailgate going, just getting the, uh, the tweets every 30 minutes from Doug reporting on every single lightning strike that was happening. Refreshing Doug's feed. (laughs) (laughs) For you, Doug. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, I mean, that was, and coming into the game, let's, all, let's, let's add a little context here because at the time there were question marks about Miguel Almiron. Think about that now. Mm-hmm. 
Miguel Almiron hadn't scored since the Minnesota game away. Joseph was injured. Tito had stepped up big time. And there were question marks. Players or fans were asking, was he the right guy? Is he, is he the guy who's going to step up? He hasn't done it so far. So there was pressure on Miguel in that game. And that's when we were walking around the stadium, um, Gargan said, what are you going to say if Miguel scores? And I, I was like, I don't, I don't, you know, I hadn't really thought about it that much because I don't, I don't, I don't like the script co- skull calls. I think it's a little bit cheesy. And uh, I said, that's a good point. Like, what if he scores? And it, if he scores, he's not going to score a tap in. He's just not that kind of guy. It's going to be one from distance. And uh, I said, how about Peach from the Paraguayan? Because it just seems to roll. And, and he says, oh, I like it. Go for it. And hadn't thought about it then. And then luckily I remember because the fans seemed to like that one, which is nice. And there was a Peach Tifa, I want to say, at the beginning of that game too, which was kind of perfect. And uh, Oh, really? Yeah. And, and I mean, and the, the, the best part about that call was that it was perfect for us to use on the intro for this podcast, which we've been using uh, for nice. a long time now. So Love it. thank you for that. We, we, we really oh, appreciate the gift. <laughs> thank you. Your story is very good uh, from a Houston perspective, but the best story I got from that Houston game is one from Griffin Whale. I don't know Griffin. Griffin hasn't really interacted with us much, but he sent in this story. Um, I'm just going to read this real quick. It's short. Uh, that Houston game was nuts. I had gotten ticks right on the sideline and Tech's club section two rows back as a birthday present was pumped. The weather turned as I was walking in. I was the first person they told to stop and go back to their car because of the weather. I was a few feet away from posting up in the club and pounding beers. I watched a drunk Delta pilot almost fight an old guy because everyone was cranky and couldn't get in. Game was just as crazy. I found a friend that tried to sneak him to where I was sitting, but not blocking one's view. But some other old dude tried to fight, and that's right when Mickey scored his first. Me and the old dude hugged it out, and he got me blackout last night. Easily my favorite game experience aside from the MLS Cup. <laughs> so good. Oh man. You never know, man. You never know. Sam, Sam, what is what is your story from from that game? My story starts at a rave in EAV the night before, and I'm dead serious. Uh, <laughs> I was at a, a rave, quotation marks. It was like a cheesy, chill thing. It wasn't like it. everyone was like throwing MDMA back or anything like that. But one of those uh, basement a, parties. Met a girl, and... met a girl oh, okay. through a friend of a friend. Um, and like jokingly towards the end of the night, uh, a friend texted me. is was like, hey, I may have an extra ticket for tomorrow. And so I said out loud to the group, no one in particular, um, hey, anyone want to go to the United game tomorrow? And she said, yeah. And I went, oh, okay, cool. This is good. Uh, a friend called me in the morning, uh, said the ticket was not available. But I ended up being happy about that because the night got so crazy from there and kind of miserable from a rain perspective that like having someone with me who I didn't really know might have been less enjoyable. True. But as yeah. it was, I was by myself. Um, I rode Marta down, all that kind of thing. Um, ended up in that tunnel that went through, you went through the varsity parking lot, through a tunnel, and that brought you out into Bobby Dodd. We ended up hiding in that tunnel, like the, the entire supporter section, essentially. Um, and I still have this incredible video of everyone doing the- that's, um, a, that's a tight tunnel for a lot of people to be in. We were sweating, <laughs> we were soaked. Um, it didn't stop everyone from doing the, the We Are The A chant and the Viking clap and everything like that. Um, eventually moved out of that tunnel and everyone made their way to a parking garage um, on Tech's campus. It was probably like maybe a quarter mile away from the stadium. I don't even know how we ended up there. Uh, but the rain started again. Everyone starts chanting and jumping up and down and everything like that. Jumping was so much. And the poor kids at Tech, they say they're in engineering school, but apparently it wasn't that great because the damn thing 
started shaking up and down. Like I literally <laughs> thought the parking garage was coming down that night. Um, and eventually we made it out of there. The game started. I snuck in the supporter section like I did for pretty much every game that first season. So what happened to the girl? Shauna, call me. <laughs> Give me Come on, Shauna. Shauna moved to California, I think. It uh, didn't work out. What do you mean you think? You know exactly where she lives. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, maybe I know where she lives. Maybe I hope she's Shauna awesome. uh, lives in this small town in California. I've looked at house prizes there. You know, I might. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I feel like uh, I feel like that storm that that swept through that night like put everybody in like a crazy frenzy for that game. And then fortunately, the game lived up totally to the, the I think the the mood that was in the fan base that night because it was just electric on the field but I remember so we were having just kind of like a typical normal tailgate type of thing kicking a soccer ball around drinking a beer or whatever and when this storm came through the thing I vividly remember about it was like the winds just started gusting yeah. like crazy and people's Big tumblers time. were flying around people were just trying to I remember our notes, our notes went everywhere up in the broadcast booth yeah we had, to, we had to put up shields to keep the rain from from the equipment it was crazy yeah, yeah, it was nuts. People were just like running for their lives essentially if they weren't trying to like chase down something that was blowing away. So I was one of the ones that was running for my life. And so I ran into the uh, the parking deck at the varsity and that was like the most debaucherous scene I've ever seen in my life. Like I can't even describe some of the things that were going on there because not not suitable for the podcast, but there was, it was just, it was incredible. Um, and like everybody was having a great time, despite the fact that the game was getting delayed and all that. And that was the, the point in time where I was like, OK, this is more than just like people showing up for a soccer game to watch, you know, to watch the game. Like this is people coming out just to have a good time. Like, you know, there was a guy that was with us who wasn't even going to the game, but he was like going to go watch it somewhere. And he was just there to kind of have fun beforehand. And I think that that's kind of the kind that's the the vibe that the club always wanted to have, you know, Um you know, it, it was more, it was always more than just the game. It was about the community that was around the team and, and how, how much fun you could have. Like, it, this is just like the best time in Atlanta to be in a, at an Atlanta United game. So this is the thing with everything you've just said, then you take it to the pitch yeah. and you want something with an X factor. Not only did Miguel score a hat trick, not only did Andrew Carlton come on at 16 years of age, but Tata Martino got sent off. And that was something <laughs> yeah. that the fans absolutely loved. When he kicked the ball away like that, the fans were going nuts. And I think his quote afterwards about the red card was like, I'm just, I'm, I'm disappointed I made such poor contact or something. <laughs> yeah, he didn't hit it well enough. He did I love that, man. God, we miss him. So good. Uh, yeah, no, the video is still amazing. Uh, I just remember his face. I think we have a great picture of it that we've used for years on DSS of him just staring down the ref and shrugging essentially as I was trying to figure out what was going on with that red card. Man, it, that night was perfect. Then, of course, you had the national anthem too. Where national were, anthem, uh, yeah. I think the Hawk is his name, was the singer that night. And his mic didn't work, bless him. And, you know, the, the fans took the rest of it. Um, it was, was that moment, Gar I remember Gargan nearly had tears in his eyes for the national anthem part. And it, as it ended, I think we... I think we were on a break. I don't know if we showed the national anthem. A lot of the time we don't have time to show the anthem because we've got so much inventory to get through before kickoff and it's such a tight window that we, we had to break. Um, and at Bobby Dodd, we, we, we ended up doing the pregame from up in the, the booth uh, because the weather was so bad. But usually we'll do it from the pregame set and then during the anthem is a chance to kind of get set for the game. And um, 
so I don't know if we showed the anthem, but I remember Gargan was pretty emotional after that. And, and the way the game played out, the, the, how exciting the team was, I thought Yamil Assad was a beast that day. Uh, just defensively, he was superb in it. For everything about that game was special. And then my brother surprised me straight after the game to make it even better. I have one brother, best friend, and he flew in with his girlfriend, now fiance, to surprise me and met us at the team hotel. My wife coordinated it with Mike and we ended up going to a dive bar. It was the only place we could get into that late. Uh, a dive bar, like West Midtown, had live music. Like when I say dive bar, it was the king of the dive bars. Um, <laughs> you probably know it. But, I love but, it. But of course, every single TV is replaying the Atlanta United game. And my brother just loves taking the mick out of me. So he'll, he's walking up to people and he's like, see that guy on the TV? Is that him there? <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, you're, you're just so annoying right now. <laughs> my first game in Atlanta, no one knows who I am. Like, leave me alone. <laughs> oh, man, that's awesome. Kevin, I think there's an added detail too. I'm looking at your story from the fan story. Uh, where did you end up after the dive bar? Oh, I think we ended up going to a Waffle House, didn't we? We, we ended up, yeah, we, we ended up going for, for some fast food. And, and that was all my brother. Like, he's, he's, he, he's a ripped guy. He works out a lot, but he loves to eat. And after, after a few beers, that's what he wanted. So, yeah. So it was, it was, Waffle House? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we had, we had a Southern breakfast that morning for my birthday when my wife took me out. And uh, it wasn't a Waffle House, though. So, <laughs> great day. I mean, pretty perfect day, all yeah, things it considered. Was. Before we get back into the show, did just want to remind everybody that this episode is brought to you by our friends at Lucid FC. That is Lucid Footwear and Clothing. You can check them out at lucidfc.us, not .com, but .us. And if you're new to the show and you're just kind of learning about Lucid FC, they're like a modern European fashion brand. They've got some really cool stuff, so I really do recommend everybody go to their website and check them out. Maybe the most interesting thing they have, though, is masks. You should you should be interested in getting a mask. They've got some really cool ones. Um, they've got the, they're like the ones that form a special nasal passage too, and it complements the face contours and has three layers, washable and reusable. So it's like the best mask you can possibly get. And of course, they're designed up all really cool, so that you'll want to wear them. And the coolest part about it all is that they've set up a partnership with a number of hospitals around the world to provide face masks for them. So for each purchase that is placed with lucid fc they will donate four times the the amount of masks that you bought to health officers healthcare workers around the world so you can be sure that while you're protecting yourself you're also protecting other people which is fantastic um, you can get free shipping with them through dss if you just enter shipping code dss at checkout you can get free shipping um, and you can also pick up curbside if you want from their studio in buckhead if you want to do that just uh, on your order choose pickup and not shipping and it's as easy as that so with that out of the way let's get into the rest of the show it's interesting about uh, just you and the entire crew in general is that, that none of you really have a, a southern background. You know, is there any kind of trepidation like coming to Atlanta and trying to integrate yourself in this culture? I would say yeah. I, I'd say a little bit for sure because you you want to be respectful. You want to do your research on the history of the city and and everything the city stands for. My wife is a major history buff. Loves history so. Even coming in, she's like, did you know this about Atlanta? You need to know this. It was wonderful to, to know that. And, and from Gargan and, uh, and, 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 I mean, Brittany was there for the first season. Brittany was based in Atlanta. Jill then was traveling in for 18 and 19. Um, so, I mean, I, I, hopefully I've, I've been 
diving in and trying to learn as much about the city, the culture, the people. I actually have family here in the city as well. Um, I've got like second cousins that I've still yet to meet that are around my age <laughs> that I think are, are even Atlanta United fans. My my mom's aunt lives in uh, in Brookhaven. So I've met her a couple of times since I've been in, which is nice to have some form of family here. All right. Well, we've talked about the Houston game. I want to talk about another game, um, which is MLS Cup final. Obviously, it's not a game that you were calling, mm-hmm. um, but were you in the building for that game? Oh, yeah. I, so, I, would, I would assume they would bring everybody in. So I, I had to present something on the field before the game. Okay. Then I, I, I ended up uh, having fun with Gargan. We were there for the entire game. I did a couple of radio hits with like Jason and Mike and then with the, the Portland guys. And it was a game to enjoy, to be honest. We, and then I, I, I hosted the, the celebration a couple of days later on the Monday uh, from the Home Depot backyard. So great few days, unbelievable game. I was sitting next to Dan and Paul McDonough. And to see Paul McDonough, that, um, Paul's like a straight shooter. He's a funny guy. And to see him with tears in his eyes, he was really emotional watching mm. the team close out that game. Those final few minutes when obviously no one sits anyway, but the final few minutes when everybody was just going absolutely nuts. No one, right? The game was wrapped up 2-0. Uh, Atlanta on the ball. You're never going to take it from Nagby. Uh, good luck. Um, and, and it was a done deal. At that point, Paul got pretty emotional. So a special night, right? How about you guys? It was great. I mean, I rem- one of the things I remember from it, honestly, it was like a tiny little thing, but I remember right before the game was about to kick off, and, you know, the, you got all the pregame buzz. And so the fans are just, you know, it's like a, a crescendo up until kickoff. You know how that is. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember George Qureshi, who is formerly from Howler, then formerly uh, editor at the, at the Athletic uh, Soccer. Uh, I remember him like tweeting that he was like, this is the most MLS has ever felt like the Super Bowl. And it was and it, like that kind of struck me as like, yeah, it seemed like it was breaking into a new relevancy at least in at least in the community that Atlanta was at the time um and still is but yeah like it was just a it was an amazing experience and of course it was an insane night because it was pouring rain trying to get in so it was like everybody was um hustling to get in there it was it was it was wild and I remember it was a wild night afterward too um Sam and I spent a lot of time together that <laughs> night afterwards. Yeah, Joe, Joe's and mine uh, MLS Cup stories are very much intertwined, especially <laughs> after the game. I, I remember I got done writing my recap for DSS. Joe, who were you with that night? I was with the MLS crew. So I was like sitting with uh, Ben Couch and Charlie Bohm and yeah. a lot of those guys. The worst part about it was me and Joe were separated. Yeah, was- yeah. We had been sitting next to each other for the entire season, and then Joe ended up way on the other side of the press box, and I was sitting next to a guy, I can't remember his name right now, a real nice dude from Portland, but still is a dude from Portland, and that was just not <laughs> cool that night. Um, but I remember after the game ended, um, after I had gotten done crying in the elevator because Felipe Cardenas made me cry in the elevator on the way down to the press conference. Hang on, how did that happen? <laughs> I was I was already a little emotional and I was trying to I was trying to keep it in right I was trying to be professional I'm here to do a job whatever uh and Felipe just simply asked me um Sam this is cool for you you're like from Atlanta right and I'll never forget <laughs> I just broke right there I'm, I'm an elevator full of just national respected people I think like uh 
Charlie Bohm was in there. A couple other people I definitely recognized. And um, if Betty, if Betty was the elevator attendant, I guarantee you she would have got up and given you a hug and, and yeah. <laughs> given you a Kleenex. <laughs> make sure you're okay. She's the nicest lady at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. I love her. I love Miss Elise too. I don't know if you've ever gotten a chance yeah. to talk to Elise. Who runs the uh, runs the one of the other elevators? She's great, but none of no one was there to comfort me. Uh, except Felipe, who just kind of awkwardly <laughs> said, "Aw." <laughs> um, after all that, I ended up writing the story. I looked down on the field. I'm in the press box. It's pretty much completely empty at that point. I looked down, and there's this dot that looks really familiar down the field or pretty far away, and I recognized the baseball cap, and I went, "That's Joe." <laughs> I was on the field. I had wandered my way onto the field that night. I, I like couldn't resist. I, I was I was down, you know, because you can see it from where the locker rooms are. You can see the field outside. And when I was leaving the locker room, I just like looked out there. I was like, I'm just gonna walk out here and see if anybody stops me, you know, because like you got the lanyard on that says no field access or whatever. But yeah, I just walked out there and. Well, I, I went down to join Joe after that, and um, we just kind of took it in. We took a couple pictures. I think Joe picked up some confetti and, and put it in his pocket, all of that kind of thing. But the, the moment I'll never forget was we looked across the field at one point, and Tata is coming with his pretty much his entire family at that point, just walking across the field. Um, and we knew he was gone at that point. It was pretty apparent that he was gone. Um, but we just walked up and said thanks that that's all we really could say yeah. was thanks and of course obviously we could communicate that you know with the language barrier um but just just shook his hand and said thanks and that was um kind of my lasting memory from being in the stadium from there we went to cookout <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was pouring rain and i had to drive and drop joe off somewhere so we could pick up an uber um and that was just a mess but but overall that was just a, a stunning night in was the result ever in doubt for you no, not after oh, the, because after this is a question I find fascinating because a lot of the people I ask, I asked Michael Parkhurst this and he said, oh, absolutely. I said, were you nervous before? What, what was the mood like? And he said, no, we were, yeah, we, we were, we were very nervous. We were cautious. We, and I did not get that impression at all. I remember watching the, and I, I, I love looking at body language before a game and looking at, and I love walking the field with Gargan. If we're ever, you know, away games, Mercedes-Benz, not as much. We know the stadium well, obviously. And I love, especially because it's turf and there's a roof. I love walking around fields for away games just to check out what the surface is like. And, and it helps being a commentator when you've kicked the ball before, when you know how the ball is going to bounce. Uh, and I remember looking at the players and thinking, they've got this. And maybe it was because after the Toronto game, the final regular season match, that, that that debacle that Tata figured it out made a few tactical tweaks got the mindset right and from from that point on good luck New York City talk to you later Red Bulls Portland here we go and it felt like it was a foregone conclusion even though Portland a very good side it just felt to me like this was a case of just getting business done and then celebrate yeah, that's how it felt to me too. And I, I got to when the game started, obviously you're feeling good after the after Atlanta United takes that one nothing lead. But then when Guzan makes that save right before halftime, that was a sh sure goal. Um, mm -hmm. That was the time where it's like, okay, that's the kind of thing that you need to also happen as well as scoring for yourself. You have to deny the other team some of their best chances to score. And I felt some sort of comfort after that happened. Um, that the team was was going to get the job done of course they they ended up doing it um man just a just an incredible night and i'm glad you mentioned the kind of the run coming up to that because uh i actually went to the away game um in the essentially the last leg that was played before 
MLS Cup um, Joe, at Red Bull Arena. About your benefactor here. Yeah. So, well, <laughs> yeah. After the home leg, everybody was drunk and happy. So I put out a tweet saying like, hey, um, if anybody wants to send money for a, for a plane ticket for me to go up to New York, um, I'll go cover the game. And uh, yeah, there was a, a prominent Atlanta United fan, I will say, um, who threw in like 400 bucks or something that nice. Like, okay, great. I can go wow. to this game. But, I, wow. but the reason I wanted to bring up that game is because Tata, when you're ta- Sam, you were talking about Tata kind of um, being able to like say goodbye to him or whatever. This shows how kind of like a special person he is. Like he wasn't hesitant to like come up to us as well and kind of, you know, um, shake our hands and, and, you know, have our peace with them. But after the, the Red Bulls game, when they were off to MLS Cup, we were in this scrum. They set up this scrum in this tiny little hallway in Red Bull Arena. Um, really bad setup for a manager taking his team to MLS Cup, Atlanta United especially, because it was just tons of media swarming him. And I was with Doug, and we couldn't get there. We didn't get there quick enough to, like, get in the front of the scrum. So there's just we're way in the back. I can tell Doug is sad because he, uh, you know, it's his, you know, his job is to cover the team and normally he's right up there and there was just no way for him to do that. And so I think we were kind of hanging back, hoping we could get some more access, like a little bit later, a little bit more up close. And Tata during that scrum is like, where's Doug? He's like looking for him. And then, uh, and Doug's like, I'm back here. I'm back here. And then he's like, happy birthday. <laughs> and it was Doug's wow. birthday. And he, and, and Tata was like seeking him out to, to say that, you know, it's like, you just took your team to MLS cup. Yeah. And you're thinking about a journalist's birthday. That's for me. I'm Doug sorry, Joe. Go ahead. No, I was going to say Doug started like tearing up. It was it was an emotional little moment. That, there. that for me it goes way beyond what we can ever imagine. Um, it, I, I just read a book recently called The Culture Code, and it's all about you know setting a, a positive culture within a group, whether it's whether you're a school teacher, or whether you're part of the military, whatever it may be. And Tata. I don't know if we'll ever fully realize what he did for, for, for Atlanta United, whether it be the recruitment process. Um, I heard a story that before he left Atlanta, he invited the entire kitchen staff over to his house in Atlanta to cook them all a barbecue. Now, that for me is a wonderful human being, that you know everyone's name inside that kitchen. You're very thankful for what they do for you every single day and the food they provide, and you're going to bring them over and treat them to a barbecue, an Argentine grill, before <laughs> you leave the city. He... All, he, you know, he didn't speak English. He spoke a little bit. He was always so unbelievably respectful to us broadcasters. Whenever we'd, he'd pass us, he'd always go out of his way to shake my hand. And I always felt kind of uncomfortable because he'd go out of his way to shake my hand. And he'd always be the first one. And next thing, Jorge Taylor would follow, you know, the other assists. And I, I'd get to know them a little bit. But then the players nearly felt, well, if Tata does it, I've got to go and do it. And it kind of reminded me a little bit of when David Beckham first joined Major League Soccer. And before he joined, a lot of the guys were, I'm not, waiting outside doing autographs for for half an hour no way Beckham comes the bus would have to wait a couple hours every single time because Beckham would wait and he'd take photos and and, and sign autographs and thank people and then all of a sudden Landon gets off the bus and then Robbie's off the bus and it's a different like it's a different culture because he set the tone Tata set the tone early Um, he was hard on the guys very hard I've heard a couple of stories where he would go at them uh, and and where it was like whoa 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 I didn't expect but but he commanded respect and he got it and the, the, the thing about Tata for me was, and this is the, the, the outstanding thing really, was I've never seen a manager, and I mean this sincerely, up close, tweak a game in-game. I saw Alexi Lalas put a tweet out recently about how coaches can't really change the game in-game. I was thinking, well, Tata Martino's the, the 
the exception to that rule in a lot of ways, certainly in Major League Soccer, he would make those little tweaks in games that would turn a game on its head. Mm-hmm. And the players, no matter how hard he was on those players, the players would, would, wouldn't care because they still respected him because he's going to make them a better player. And every player, I remember talking to Jeff Lorenzowitz early in the Tata reign, early 2018, and asking him about the detail involved. And he just said, it's, it's just amazing, Kev. I, and he's a student of the game, Jeff. So for him to, to, to go to training and to, to learn in his mid to late 30s every single day. And I said, have you ever had a coach that came close to this level of detail? And he said, no, the closest will be Oscar Preja, Colorado, but, but nowhere near Tata for that level of detail. So I, I just, I have enormous amounts of respect for him. I never really had a chance to speak with him properly. There was one time I wore that kind of uh, bright blue suit in Los Angeles when, when the team won forget to it. 2-0 against the Galaxy. <laughs> yeah, I got to get that tailored up. I got to get that you know, <laughs> fitted and, and wear it again this season. But uh, sorry, I'm in the basement. I've got a fly hanging around me. Um, so Tata after the game, I'm standing out in the loading dock and Tata walks by me, little English obviously, and just goes like this. Hmm. Electric blue, I like. <laughs> <laughs> and I laugh because I just thought, what a character. Like, what a, what a, I know. what an interesting guy, you know, and he's just, he's obsessed by the game. He's obsessed by it. And well, he's obsessed was, by making players better. One of my favorites was, uh, it was a road game, so I wasn't there, but he, uh, I guess he like threw a piece of paper away and he was like, LeBron, <laughs> <laughs> like instead of uh, the Kobe, whatever. Oh, man. <laughs> So good. So good. I mean, what you were saying, though, speaks to like a lot of what we were talking about on the last show, Sam, with Felipe, where, you know, just the, the attention to detail and also just like the trust that he had, the players had in him and he had in them. You know, he's more of a pragmatist, I think, than a lot of people remember because his teams were so attacking and high, high flying and stuff like that. But, you know, when it came down to that MLS Cup run. He was making lots of decisions to leave players on the bench, like a Tito Villalba, like leave him on the bench because you're better off with uh, Julian Gressel in central midfield in the in the MLS Cup final, you know. And Barco too. Back five, yeah. Barco was pretty he, much. He had, he had Tata had the cojones to say, "I don't care if you if you you know you've." I shouldn't say it like that, but Tata had the courage to say, "You've just brought in a guy for close to 15 million or whatever the fee was, and you know because of the way you're acting, I'm sitting you." Mm-hmm. And I, when you're ready to come back, and when I feel you're ready, you'll come back. And he didn't feel the pressure from anybody. Tata set the tone there. That was, I, I just felt remarkable management um, and courage too. And I, I, I just have the utmost respect for everything he did here in Atlanta. Yeah. And he, I mean, even again, I, again, we talked about this last week, but with Joseph Martinez, like there was a game against the, I think it was a New York game against the New York Revolution in 2017. Um, and Tata subbed out Joseph and Joseph got really mad on the field and ripped off the pre-wrap on his shin guards and like le- left it on the field, which was kind of funny afterwards. After he had departed, you could see like, oh, this is where this is where Joseph was because you would see the ball roll over the, the red pre-wrap or whatever. But and Tata called him out for it. He was like, hey, you can't can't do this. Um, and Joseph refers to Tata as like his, his like another father for him, you know, it just goes to show how deep that relationship was. No, exactly. Good that. times. But leading it, I'm thinking of other. I'm thinking of other big games and in, in, in that 2018 season, in the in the regular season, the, the time when I really felt okay, this team is now is is going to be a real challenger this year. Like let's not forget 2017, the team, yeah, finished with 70 goals, you know, and 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 uh, finished what fourth in the Eastern Conference. There were still some issues with the team, but in 18, the moment that I felt okay, Atlanta United could win this whole season, was probably the two games against LA 
and they came quite close, maybe even back to back. Five nil victory against LAFC. LAFC that day didn't deserve to lose five nil. They outshot Atlanta United. They had more of the ball than Atlanta United, but Atlanta United were ruthless up the other end. Miguel had a brace. I remember Romario rounded off the the mm. five nil. And then to go to the Galaxy, I remember that was such a nervy game because like Zlatan scored 22 goals that season. And he didn't have one single shot in that game, let alone a shot on target. He didn't have one single effort. And Michael Parker stood on his head against Zlatan. And I loved Michael Parker's tweet the other day about, you know, how you body up against a bigger striker. And he was talking about Lukaku and he was talking about the mistake uh, that a defender made in getting too close to Lukaku and not having the smarts to try and play him offside. And Parker's that day put on a masterclass of central defending against a guy who's six foot four. And Parky's only what five ten, five eleven. So, big time respect for him too. But those were the two games I felt against the LA sides that made me believe, okay, Atlanta United could do it all. Yeah, yeah. This is, this is a, just a special, special season. It kind of had a feeling for a long time, but yeah, great memories, great memories. Um, Kev, you've got a podcast. I was listening to an episode of it. Kicking off, yeah. I was listening to this, the one with hashtag FC. Oh yeah, one. Spencer. Yeah. yeah, yeah, fantastic. I love the insight. I love, I love your intense questioning. It's like you very well researched. Reminds me of like hot ones with the uh, <laughs> the the intense uh, the intense questioning. But no, it was really good. I really enjoyed it. That's like my perfect. I love listening to podcasts like that where it's just like a one-on-one interview where you really get deep in in inside somebody else's head, inside their emotions. I just love that. Um, can you talk a little bit more about your podcast? And I think you have a new episode coming out soon. Yeah, please. And thank you for the plug. You know, the reason I'm, I, I wanted to start this and I've wanted to do something for myself, by myself for a long time now. And obviously afforded the time during quarantine because there's so much negativity out there in the world. There's so many trolls and negative folks on Twitter and social media that it's so easy to become so wrapped up in it all. And I love a little bit of inspiration. I love talking to people that I admire. And what I just said to myself one day, I was going for a run and I, I, I had been, I texted Juan Pablo Angel. I used to work with him briefly at, at, uh, at being sports. And he's someone who I looked up to as an Aston Villa fan growing up. And I remember thinking, what if I could talk to someone like him and just, and find inspiration from them, but record it and put it out there for people. So I wanted to set something up. That's not just football players, um, something within the realm of the game, but it could be a singer. You know, could talk to maybe hopefully one day Niall Horan, right? Like someone who's in one direction. It's such a wacky pick, but someone who's a great guy, like sure. a lovely, lovely fella, enjoys going to his local pub in Ireland for a pint with his dad, yet he's a huge Derby County fan and he's a huge fan of the game in general. So there's great stories out there. I'm going to speak with Kate Parker soon. She's a two-time New York Times bestselling author based here in Atlanta. And uh, she has a, a book that's just come out. Have it here. I'll show you. It's called Play Like a Girl. And uh, she's, I find Kate incredibly inspirational. So it's, it's stories within the game, dissecting the path of the person that got them to where they are today and having a little bit of fun along the way. So I've been fortunate to chat to Christian Vieri, who, you know, one of the best strikers to ever play the game at 21 years of age. He was a nobody in Italy. A nobody. Think about that. 21 years of age, usually a top striker would have made it by then. Think about Mbappe and some mm-hmm. of the strikers that we know today, like Haaland. Vieri, on his 21st birthday, was bouncing from Serie B team to Serie B team while watching his idol, Roberto Baggio, at a World Cup. And Christian told me about his break that he got um, to join Atalanta. 
and, uh, and to do well there and then eventually the following season get a move to Juve and then he was the top scorer for Italy at the next World Cup alongside Baggio so some of those stories I find very inspirational knowing that these superstars didn't have it easy they had mm-hmm. to grind they had to work hard um, I, I chatted with Spencer like you say from, from Hashtag United a guy who's 31 years of age who you know at 16 set up his own football club he is a mogul within the gaming world and he's working so hard. He never stops working and grinding, but he's also an incredibly nice fella. Uh, and my next episode coming out, oh, Ali Krieger, by the way, if you haven't yeah, had a chance right. to listen to that one, listen to the Ali Krieger interview because she's clearly not a fan of Jill Ellis. Uh, she kind of unloads a little bit on how the team feel about Jill Ellis, how she was exiled from the national team for two years while not being given a reason why she was dropped. And when you're dropped from the U.S. women's national team, it's important we all know this, your salary is cut. So all that money that you bring in, essentially you're taken off the payroll. So she was taken off the payroll, told, good luck, go for a hike. No reason why. Uh, But aside from that, Ali nearly died of blood clots, had heart issues. She, She had several knee problems. And I think she's a warrior and a brilliant inspiration. And then Charlie Davies is my latest interview. Now, when I say Ali's was next level, Charlie's was then next level on steroids because that, I, I was blown away by the chat because he talks about the, the issues that he had as a young 10, 11, 12-year-old boy, pretty much raising his younger brother because his parents were absent for reasons that you'll, you'll hear in the show. And then, you know, car crash in 2009, Bob Bradley's phone call to say you're not going to be part of the, the World Cup squad when he worked his tail off to try and get back for that. The devastation involved there and then being told he's got cancer in the same week, I believe, that his, that his twin boys were born. You know, he's, he's in one wing of the hospital receiving cancer treatment when his two boys are in NICU in a different wing. Charlie's story is, is absolutely phenomenal. It's, it's next level. There could be an ESPN 30 for 30 done on both Ali Krieger and Charlie Davies, and I'm very fortunate that I call both of them friends. And that Charlie's uh, interview is, is out later today. That's, that's Wednesday, um, the day we're recording this. And Hopefully everybody can, can check it out because the, the goal of the show, and sorry to talk, for talking about it for so long. No, I love it. The show is, is to offer a little bit of inspiration, a little bit of a lift on maybe a day that you need it. And right now it's a tough time for everybody. Everybody's been hit by this. And if you haven't been hit by this financially yet, expect you will be at some point uh, or another soon. So well, and, and, and Yeah, what I, what I loved about just, you know, even just listening to the Spencer Owen one, it's like, it's in the context of soccer, but you don't even need to be a soccer fan no. necessarily to really connect with these stories. And just, it's a more of a, it's more inspirational. Yeah. I was listening to it while I was cooking dinner and I was like, man, this is like, you give, you brings up new ideas for me. I'm sure other people who listen to it would, you know, yeah, would just inspire them to do whatever great things they want to do in their field. So yeah, I mean, Charlie's chat, you don't have to be a football fan yeah. to enjoy that. We talk about what kind of father he wants to be learning from the lessons that, you know, of, of his childhood. And uh, the end, I wanted to ask him, you know, if someone's having a bad day, if someone's a little low today, what's your advice? And it's not even Charlie advising. It's just coming from a guy who's had more setbacks than you can imagine. Um, someone who feels that he's escaped death. Imagine living your life like that, thinking, well, I escaped death that time. And I'm after escaping it again. Maybe it's coming for me. You know, it, I, I was listening to it thinking, this nearly feels like Final Destination, the movie. Like, you, you can't live your life like that. But Charlie... Charlie lives his life with a smile. And uh, when we had a chance to work together at Turner Sports, he had me dancing like a drunk seal on set live. Uh, he's just a fun guy. Kevin, where can folks find Kicking Off? On YouTube, Kicking Off with Kevin Egan, or on your favorite podcast platform, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, The Works, uh, Kicking Off. And 
I didn't realize this beforehand, but it goes so far if you can leave a little rating or review or subscribe. Those little things mean the world. Um, I see everybody else when they're promoting their podcast asking people, and I don't really want to be that guy, but at the same time, I get it. Like, I, I get it now. You guys know from being in it's, this game. It's frustrating how important that stuff is. Like, yeah. you wish it weren't that important, but it really is. And it's a, But it's a great way for somebody to support the show without having to do it financially, especially like Correct. this time. Correct, wow. because you can earn, like, you know, in time, my goal with this wasn't to earn any money at all um, because, but certain people that I'd love to have on have asked for a fee already uh, and I can't, I can't pay them right now. So yeah. I'm, I'm totally out of work until, until we're back soon. So it's, uh, it's been fun and it's been, it's been great fun doing it. I set up this little set in my basement uh, to do it, which was a laugh and hopefully it will continue. I, I said, I do 10 episodes for a season one, see how it goes. And I just have to finish an episode six. So yeah, we'll see. Wouldn't it be crazy if everyone listening to this went and just, I don't know, maybe rated everything five stars and subscribed. Now that we talked and we brought it up, I mean, you might as well go do it. There you go. (laughs) No reason not to. (laughs) No reason not to. Exactly. Uh, Any updates as far as uh, Fox Sports and Fox Sports South kind of coming back into our lives anytime soon? Yes, big time. Uh, The 22nd, we are on the call for the Nashville game. I believe it's the first game back. So mm-hmm. that's 10 days from the day we're recording here. And I cannot wait. I can't wait to chat with the other broadcasters from Nashville. They're great people. Tony Husband, Jamie Watson and uh, Laurie Lindsay. And then get stuck into the game. Uh, hopefully alongside Dan and Jill, we've, we've a lot to figure out in terms of logistics, but hopefully they can get into Atlanta or wherever they call the game from. And uh, Dan is based in St. Louis. Jill's in New York. And uh, then we've got three more games after that. We call two games against Miami and one game against Orlando. And I'm saying it right now, better not be the first time we lose to Orlando. <laughs> you, uh, I don't know. I wouldn't put any bets on that right now. It's, it's looking a little rough, even after last night. But I'm more optimistic about Atlanta United, guys. Re- I really am. I you know, that. like during the tournament, it was, it was, it was horrible. Uh, the, the viewing just was not a pleasurable one for any of us. You know, the team looked a little stale. They looked leggy. The ingenuity going forward was tough without a focal point up front. Uh, and now you add pieces. Kubo Torres, Carlos made his debut back in Major League Soccer with Chivas USA alongside Kubo in that same game. He knows him well. He, he, Kubo's the type of guy, and this is why I'm optimistic about him. If you put him in a Houston team that play on the counterattack with you know, um, a player like Albert Elise uh, or Minotas or um, Kyoto, you put him in that team, he's not that player. He's much more of a Chicharito Hernandez. He's much more of a Miroslav Klose. He's that sort of a player that you need to dominate. <coughs> Excuse me. You need to dominate the ball. You need to play with a purpose. <coughs> and if, if he can be that focal point up front, he'll, he'll, he'll make those darting runs in a five, six-yard space. That's where he's really, really intelligent. But he needs to be in the right system. So mm-hmm. if Atlanta United can get on the front foot again, and have Barco and Pitti heavily involved, have Emerson Hyman involved and, 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 and dominating games. I want to see much more from Seto in midfield as well. Uh, that's when I think you'll see the real Kubo Torres. So I'm hopeful that he'll work out. And obviously, <coughs> there's other signings as well that the team has just brought in. So here's hoping. Yeah, and I, I think there will be like a new manager bump as well. I think that a lot of these guys will just feel a little bit more comfortable and uh, a simpler set up a simpler structure and i think we're going to see all the players perform a little bit better than they had been yeah 
Here's hoping, guys. Yep, exactly. You guys can find Kevin at on Twitter at Kevin underscore Eve or Kev underscore Eve Egan K E V underscore Egan. There you go. Go check out Kevin on Twitter. Go check out Kicking Off as well. Uh, Kev, much for coming on, man. We appreciate you. Oh, absolute legends, guys. What a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Enjoyed the chat. Beautiful. Beautiful. All right, let's get out of here. Joe, anything else? Nope. That's it for me. Bye, y'all. <laughs>